wonderful way to begin the second message. May Jesus Christ be praised. And I trust that will be true in what you'll hear this afternoon. Before I begin my message, I want to acknowledge a few more people. And I would like to acknowledge Jonathan Spath, who is in uh, the audio room there, taping and helping me with the PowerPoint presentation. So thank you so much, Jonathan. And I'd also like to thank the other men who are in the kitchen who served us today. I'd like to thank Gary and uh, Eric and Pastor Gus and my husband, Barry, for coming here and ministering to us in that way. Well, I know you've already listened to two messages, and this message is after lunch, but are you ready to hear a message on emotions? (laughs) Let's hear some emotional enthusiasm. Are you ready to hear? Oh, yeah, there we go. (laughs) There we go. So the title of this afternoon's message is Managing Our Emotions, Life Lessons from God's Word. I think it's fair to say that we would all like to spend our days joyful. And though dozens of moods are available to us, women, we would all prefer to be in a good one, Uh, which is probably also true for those in our family and our friends and our coworkers. But life is constantly pushing our buttons. Uh, Because people and illness and circumstances and hormonal changes and our emotions combine to make us works in progress. And I hope that's a relief for you to hear. Emotions touch every part of our lives, yet many feel alone in talking about them. And I hope you don't feel alone. And that's what this message is all about. You are not the only one who feels like you have more mood swings than brain cells. But we're going to look today into God's word and see what God has to say about our emotions. What emotions are and what emotions are not. This afternoon will not be an exhaustive look at all of our emotions, but my prayer has been throughout the writing of this message that you women will be refreshed and renewed and even repaired a little as we look at God's word regarding our emotions. So we're privileged this afternoon to open up God's word. And I would like you to turn to Ephesians 4, and I will be reading verses 21 through 32. If indeed you have heard Christ and have been taught by Christ, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And look at verse 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. And thank you, Father, that you created us in your image. And in such, you created us with emotions. And Father, I thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit to help us control our emotions. You've given us everything, Father, for faith and life. And we thank you for that. So I pray, Father, now as I uh, give this message and we look in your word, that it would be an encouragement to each one of us how we can use our emotions to the glory of Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, imagine a day without emotions. No grief, no frustration, no disappointment. But yet there would be no joy, or excitement, or laughter. Life would be flat and tasteless. So God had something good in mind when he created us with emotions. So how would you describe your emotions? Or maybe a better question to ask is this. How would someone else describe your emotions? The people around you, how would they describe your emotions? When we start talking about emotions, we must begin with the heart. Emotions arise from the inner person of the heart. The human soul is depicted as the seat of our emotions. And it's interesting because in the word of God, the references to the physical heart are few. But the spiritual references to our heart are many. In fact, 963 times in the scripture, you will find the word heart. And the Greek word for heart is cardia, and you can probably hear where our English cardio came from, the Greek. And the word heart in scripture is often used metaphorically to describe our actions and our words. In particular, scripture uses the word heart to refer to our intellect and our memory and our desires, our will, and our emotions. So emotions are responses from the heart. So we call the heart the seat of our emotions, and we try to explain our feelings by using that term. So listen to this. We have known heartache. Some days we don't have the heart to go to work. We lose heart, or we do not lose heart. We keep people close to our heart. We read God's word, and we hide it where? In our heart. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. And as we think in our heart, so are we. So the heart scripture talks about the heart located not here, but here, between our two ears. And as we think about the reference to the heart, it refers to how we think because no one is more influential in our life than we are. 
That's why the scripture says, as we think in our heart, so are we. So in our inner discussion with ourselves, we're always talking about things. Uh, We can talk about God, life, others, ourselves. And all these things are very important to us, and they form our desires of the heart, our choices, what we say, and what we do. So what have you been saying this week to yourself about God? What have you been saying to yourself about others? And what have you been saying to yourself about your life? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now remember what we said this morning, that the fruit of the Spirit comes as a package, as one, And it refers to the Christ-like attitudes and actions of those who walk in the Spirit, who are trusting the Lord and abiding in Christ. And here we have this very little gift from the Lord, a fruit referred to as self-control. And self-control may be the last fruit of the Spirit, but it's not the least important. We do not want to reduce it to such. Self-control is the strength that the Holy Spirit gives us to manage our emotions. As we're trusting in the Lord, as we're keeping our minds stayed upon him, as we're keeping our minds stayed upon the word of God, abiding in him, he gives us the ability to manage our emotions. So the Holy Spirit has a huge part to play in our emotional life. He convicts us of feelings that go against God's desire for us because we don't want our negative emotions to rule our lives and thereby permeate the quality of life in our relationships with others or in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So as you think of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit affects, first of all, my relationship with God. And so the first three fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, has to do with my relationship with God. Remember the Lord Jesus said, my peace I give to you. And he also said, my joy I give to you. So in our relationship with the Lord, he has given us the ability to love and have joy and to have peace with him. The fruit of the Spirit also affects our relationship with others. And we looked at that this morning as well. The long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness is in our actions and interactions with one another. The fruit of the Spirit allows us to share that fruit with those with whom we come in contact. And the fruit of the Spirit also allows us in our relationship with ourselves. So when we think about the faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is our ability to manage those areas for ourselves. So the fruit of the Spirit covers it all. Dear ladies, in Jesus Christ, we have it all. He has given us everything for life and godliness. Isn't that wonderful? What a gift we have from him. I'm so thankful for that. So as we think about emotions, what should we do with them? God was very generous when he gave us emotions. Uh, We all experience so many passions and feelings that as one person said, We are millionaires in emotions. 
And emotions come to us in infinite types and intensities, yet emotions can lead us astray. Oh, on some days, we can behave in the most commendable, loving, gracious manner. And in other times, we behave badly. There are days that we are kind and gentle. And then there are days we become erupting volcanoes, spewing hot lava of words on those in our periphery. And when we erupt, people run for cover. And they say, there she blows. <laughs> but if we're honest with ourselves, we discover that too often, as James said in the book of James, we have both sweet and salty water springing from the same inner fountain. Or to use the Lord Jesus' metaphor, the ground of our personalities produces both grapes and brambles and thistles. So are emotions a detriment to us? No. Too often we think of our feelings in negative terms. We're so accustomed to hear the phrase emotional problems that we think that emotions are a bother. And some even think we would be better off not even having emotions. But that is not how God sees our emotions. God the Creator has emotions. And he's created us in his image, and that includes being emotional. Our God is an emotional, relational God. And he's given us the same ability to be emotional and relational with him and with others. You look at the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on earth, and he displayed the divine nature of emotions. He expressed sorrow and love and compassion and grief and amazement, and righteous indignation, and joy. Second, we see that God created us with emotions so that our lives might be enriched. Our emotions were given to us so that we would enjoy life, and that we would enjoy our life in Christ, that we would enjoy the abundant life that we have in Christ. So think of your emotions this way. Think of your emotions as appreciators of life, and appreciators of our Savior and relationship with him. Emotions allow us to appreciate a fine work of art or music or a fine piece of writing. Emotions allow us to be tender to our children. They allow us to offer sympathy to our friends. We can have tears of laughter, and we can rejoice with those who rejoice, and we can weep with those who weep. So God showered us with an abundance of emotions, I think, for a very good reason. And I think he gave women quite a bit. Because we women are empathetic, aren't we? We're able to put ourselves in other people's places and understand instinctively how someone else is feeling. Sometimes they don't have to say a word to us. And we know how that person is feeling, whether it's someone in our family, like our children or our husband, or we can see that with our friends or even those, our friends in church. We instinctively know what's going on before that person has said a word. Women are capable of great understanding, of great compassion, and great mercy toward others. Emotions also bring technicolor to our lives. Um, in fact, I brought with me 
this vase of multicolored rubber bands to depict the various colorful emotions that we women have. And these rubber bands, as you think about them, are very useful in the workplace. They're the unsung heroes of the workplace. They hold together big file folders, and they keep them together. They keep random papers bundled together. And rubber bands can be of great benefit to us and also to others. Now, as we think of our emotions, God gave us emotional help and healing by the power of the Holy Spirit because sometimes we can see if I can, snap. <laughs> yes, we can. Sometimes those emotions can snap. And we can have snappy answers, sarcasm, pouting, outbursts, overreactions, passive-aggressive behaviors, uh, various snarls of stretchy emotions can affect us and the people that we live with. So what turns your rubber bands into flaming missiles? (laughs) Uh, Was it taxes just recently? Uh, Was it tiredness? Traffic? Tardiness of someone else? Uh, Trials? Just simply too much to do? Life is not easy, and I know that, and I don't have to tell you that, do I? So you have hard things that you're dealing with every day, and it makes it very challenging to us in an emotional way. So emotions can deeply be affected by our circumstances. But have you found that emotions are not always honest? Not always accurate, and sometimes not even reasonable. Emotions can tell us how to behave. And while emotions are vitally important and enhancing, I can't trust my emotions to think for me. And that's why we need God's truth, his word, to speak to us when our negative emotions take over the conversation in our head. That is why we need to preach God's word to ourselves when the only one talking to you is you. We need God's word to talk to us. God has given us a guidebook for spiritual, emotional, physical, and psychological health. And God's word is full of truth about our emotions. Our emotions like fearfulness, Our emotions like despair or anger or self-pity or jealousy. And thankfully, God has given us his very own spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help us manage our emotions. I'm so thankful that God's word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path because we need God's word as a light for our path of life and how we feel about what we encounter on that path of life. I think it was C.S. Lewis who so eloquently put this into words. He said, The fact of God's word is the engine of the train of the Christian life, which pulls the car of faith in God's word behind with the caboose pulling up the rear filled with feelings. 
So it's fact of God's word, our faith in that word, and feelings in that order. We mature emotionally when we believe God's truth, no matter what our circumstances look like. So ladies, learn to counsel your heart according to the word of God. Because your thoughts, remember, affect your feelings. Your thoughts affect your emotions. So when those negative emotions overcome you, put on truth. Guard your mind with the truth of the word of God, which allows you then to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So with that introduction in mind, I'm now ready to talk about some of our emotions. But I wanted to let you know, first of all, what God has given us to manage the emotions that I'm going to bring forth today. Researchers agree that we experience six primary emotions. And here they are. Anger, sadness, surprise, shame, fear, and joy. Now, are you surprised that love did not appear on that list? We'll see later why love is more than just an emotion. Now, some of these emotions are helpful. For example, the expression of sadness has the purpose of allowing us to grieve a loss. And fear can help protect us. But these emotions are not meant to linger. They're only to come as needed and then to go away because it's when they linger that they become unhealthy in our life. Well, I decided to conduct my own research. And so I asked five of my friends this question. What six emotions would you like me to address at the ladies' retreat? What emotions are ones that you feel that you deal with and you want to see what God's word has to say about them? And I did not give them a list to choose from. They just had to hand me a list of six emotions. And here's here what the friends said. Anger, self-pity, disappointment, envy, guilt, and joy. Now, it's interesting to look at that list because um, as you look at those two different lists that I gave you, you can see that everybody's emotional makeup is different, just as our personalities are. And I think each one of us knows the emotions of our own heart, which ones really rise, rise up. Uh, but again, thankfully, God the Holy Spirit knows our emotions even better than we do, and he's there to help us. But as I think about these emotions that my friends gave me that they wanted me to speak on, I decided not to speak on guilt because I spoke on that emotion in my message, Seeing Christ in Forgiveness. So if you want to revisit uh, that information on guilt, you can listen to that message. It's posted on the Heritage Trail Bible Church website. But I will address the other emotions today of anger, self-pity, disappointment, envy, and joy. So let's begin with anger. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure brought on by a real or supposed wrong. And the Greek word for anger is orge, which describes a more settled and lasting kind of inward feeling. And when you see the word wrath in scripture, 
thumos, it indicates a sudden and agitated outburst of anger. So why do we blow our cork? When resentments, frustrations, hurt feelings, and simple fatigue set in, we can explode. So when everything runs smoothly in the direction we had hoped it would, we can have a fairly pleasant frame of mind. No bumps, no inconveniences, no irritations. But as soon as things don't go as I had planned, watch out. Watch out now because the rubber bands of anger are wound pretty tightly and whoop, (laughs) that's pretty good. I snap. (laughs) Anger is a very strong emotion. And when it's allowed to continue unchecked, it can destroy the enraged person and others. So one of the most debilitating emotions is anger. We grit our teeth. We give someone the look. We pull our hair. We rant. We rave. We scream. We shout. We stomp. We sulk. Well, you get the picture. And we can even say hurtful things. Now, the sneaky thing about anger is that most people, when you ask them, are you an angry person, would say no. Because anger doesn't look like yelling or fits of rage sometimes. Anger can lead to resentment. It can lead to bitterness. It can lead to sadness. It can lead to isolation. So sometimes when we're angry, we might not express it outwardly, but it's there inwardly. We stuff that anger inside of us. We've all been hurt. We all have our issues, but we can't be a victim to our anger. It's just such a miserable way to live. So God has given us a way to deal with anger, and we just read that in the scripture in Ephesians 4:32. He's given us some warning signs about what to do if we experience anger. He's given us several tests. Uh, and let me share them with you. First of all, he has given us this test, which is the sun test, as I refer to S-U-N. Remember what we read in Scripture? It said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That was Ephesians 4.26. So address issues immediately, seems to be what Scripture is saying to us there. Deal with the offense that made us angry before the sun goes down. So that anger does not turn to bitterness because bitterness eats us up and doesn't solve the issue that caused the anger. One man asked a friend his secret to the 52 years of marriage. And he said, we never go to sleep angry. Wow, that's great advice, said his friend. Yes, and the longest we've been awake so far is five days. (laughs) But apparently, according to scripture... Anger that persists beyond sundown is uncontrolled and is uncontrolled wrath that harms relationships. And here's another thing scripture tells us. It gives foothold to the devil. In fact, verse 27 in Ephesians 4 said, give no place for the devil. Why? Because the devil inflames anger And its victims then say things and do things they would never do if they were rational and controlled by the Spirit. 
Satan is our real enemy. Satan does not like believers, and he will do all he can to trip them up. And he loves it when we do his work for him, when we dump on other people. In fact, Barry put it this way. My husband Barry said, he takes out his pom-poms and cheers us on. The real enemy is not the person who hurt us. Satan is the real enemy. And this is hard to see when the flesh and blood person is standing there in front of you. But I do not want to give place to the devil. So we need to take sides against our flesh and we need to put on the Spirit of God and choose God's way. And it's the hands-down greatest opportunity we have to shame Satan and he flees from us. We can have victory over our flesh. We can have victory over anger as we yield to the Holy Spirit of God and rest in him. And here's another great uh, way to handle our anger. And the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians six nineteen, pray always. Pray always the prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful, there it is, for this end with all perseverance and supplication. So if God the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about your trigger temper, I'm going to offer you some biblical advice. And I want you to keep in mind now Ephesians 6:19. for my first statement will be this. The next time you're angry, instead of venting or stuffing your anger or your hurt, stop and pray. And maybe even leave the room and cool down, calmly work through the conflict and come before the Lord and say, Father, this is what I'm dealing with. I have problems with anger. And you have promised to help me, Father, and I know you will. And so I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to come to you. This is not just a one-time deal. This is something that we do continuously. Father, this is what I'm dealing with, and I know you're going to help me because the blood of Jesus Christ has taken care of that sin of anger. He's already broken the shackle of my anger. I'm going to rest in his finished work. Father, I'm going to trust you in this. So if we truly want to get over our anger, if we're an angry person, we must develop that attitude of humility and humbleness before the Lord and honesty. And also admit to the person to whom we took out our anger. See, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? We need to take the steps to rectify the problem. In order to control our anger, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear me say this over and over again, but this is the truth of the matter. You cannot discipline your nature, your sin nature, your old sin nature by saying this, I'm going to determine this week that I am not going to get angry. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, you will have more anger spewing out of your mouth than you've ever heard because we can't control ourselves. (laughs) Haven't we figured that out by now? At least we fall in winter, maybe hell, I don't know. Can we not understand that? But we do know that the Holy Spirit can do all things for us. And even when it comes to this issue of anger, the Holy Spirit is perfectly able to help you and me, but it's a process, lady, a day-by-day experience. Don't give up. Fight the good fight of faith. The Holy Spirit can free you from anger. We need God's power to control our tongues. Conversations are like small fires. The more fuel you add to them, the more they blaze. But nothing can calm an angry person better than a soft 
gentle response. So if you are living with somebody who's an angry person, here's a verse for you. It's Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So if you're living with an angry person, you work with an angry person, or you deal with an angry person, it takes two to have an argument. And when you turn your wrath away from being a hothead, you bring healing to the relationship. So what I'm seeing here in Proverbs, it says, don't get into a game of ping pong and say something hot-headed back to the other person because you're stoking each other's fire. So when I speak a harsh word, it stirs up anger. Not the anger of the other person, but my anger, actually. And it keeps me going, and it adds fuel to the flame. Proverbs 16.31 says, She who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and she who rules her spirit than he that takes a city. So in all of this, ladies, we have tremendous hope and help. Not in myself, but my hope is in where? My hope is in the Lord. And the control of my anger is more than just wishful thinking. It can happen here a little, there a little, and we can have the victory in Christ. In fact, Barbara Johnson, who's a Christian humorist, made a great statement. And she said, life is too short to spend it being angry, bored, or dull. (laughs) Let's look at the next emotion of self-pity. Psalm 42, 11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Do you see there in that psalm that the writer of the psalm had scripture speak to him? He recognized he was in despair. He was in self-pity. His soul was disquieted. And he counseled him in the word of God. And he says, wait, I'm going to hope in God and I'm going to praise him. He's going to help with my countenance because he's my God. It's interesting as you look at the book of Psalms, you're going to see a wide range of emotions displayed in that book of human experiences and human feelings from dark depression to exuberant joy. And the Psalms are rooted in circumstances and they're timeless. And that's probably why we just love reading the scriptures so much. And we all have our favorite passages of of the Psalms, don't we? That we go to for comfort and help. And so I'm going to share a few of the Psalms with you this afternoon. Now, self-pity is not pretty. If we're carrying self-pity, we're probably our countenance isn't going to look the most attractive. You know what self-pity is? Self-pity is feeling sorry for yourself. That's basically what it is. And, and, and pity is emotional quicksand. I can think no other emotion that will take you down more quickly than feeling sorry for yourself. When you whine, you have fallen into the slew of despond, as John Bunyan wrote in his Pilgrim's Progress. Self-pity is all about how I feel, what I think, what I want, what I deserve. And we convince ourselves that if anything bad is going to happen, it's going to knock on my door first. And we're sure that no one has it as hard as we do. No one has gone through the trials that we've gone through. And then we set about trying to convince ourselves of our difficult plight. Now, When we think about emotions, according to scripture, emotions have faces. 
in Proverbs 27, 19, as the water reflects the face, so the earth reflects the person. Think about a child, for instance. If a child is feeling sorry for himself, what does his face look like? Right away, he doesn't have to say a word. And you know, he's feeling that he's been done wrong. And he's feeling sorry for himself. But sometimes we can carry our expressions with us into adulthood as well. We're very experienced in emotions. And we know how to spot them on someone else. We can read faces pretty well, can't we? And quite often people can, as expression goes, read us like a book before we even say a word. Uh, More than 90% of the messages that we give are nonverbal. When the nonverbal contradicts the verbal, we'll always go with the nonverbal. The facial expressions, the body language, the tone of voice, the posture. Can you tell what kind of day you're going to have when you walk into the office and you look at your supervisor's face? Oh, or you walk into that classroom and you look at your professor's face and you think, "Uh aha, I know what kind of day this is going to be in the lecture hall. Oh, let's take it more personally, shall we? What about in the home? Does your husband know what kind of day he's going to have when he looks at your face in the morning? Ah, and do we know even by our children's expressions what's going on in their minds? But emotions not only have faces emotions have feet and we give our emotions transportation every time we give in to the weight of disappointment or self-pity we rehearse our woes over and over and over again to anybody who wants to hear them nobody likes me everybody hates me guess i'll go eat worms and then when people see us coming they're going to run for cover they're going to say oh no we're going to have to hear this story again Because no one wants to hear our continual complaints. Whining is like somebody singing off key. And they're singing in the key of me. (laughs) And eventually people are going to tune us out. Now where do we learn to whine? Actually we learn to whine as a child. So I'm going to encourage you mothers to whip whining in the bud. And you probably know the tone of your child's whining voice. And when whining is reinforced as an acceptable way to get what I want, guess what's going to happen to that child? The child is going to carry that whining nature mm, right into adulthood. Because they figured out as a child, I know it works. It worked for me. Whined, I got my way. And I'm going to bring it now to wherever my path takes me in my adulthood. So actually, whining can become second nature if it's not addressed. So here's what scripture would say we should do when we are singing the blues, when we're feeling sorry for ourselves, or your emotions go south. I'm going to encourage you to read Psalm 40, verses 2 through 3, and Psalm 103, which is a psalm of unmixed praise. Because one of the things that helps overcome habitual whining is the decision, and there it is, the decision, the choice to praise the Lord. And look at what it says at the end of the verse. I will bless the Lord, O my soul, and guess what? And forget not all his benefits. As a believer in Jesus Christ, 
why would we feel sorry for ourselves? And do we not know as a believer in Jesus Christ that he has all things working together for our good? So the circumstance, the trial, the situation, the people that are in my life are in there for a reason. And they're in there for a reason so that I would learn to trust him, I would learn to walk by faith and allow him to do his good work in me. So why am I going to feel sorry for myself? That is the key to that verse, in my opinion. Forget not all his benefits. Because when you're praising the Lord, you're not going to feel sorry for yourself. Now, we all have faced situations and difficulties in life. And yet we know this, that our Heavenly Father loves us, our Heavenly Father cares for us, our Heavenly Father knows what we're going through, and we can again do the same thing as we did with anger. We can bring this before the Lord. Say, Father, I'm feeling sorry for myself again. There I go. And may I have my eyes stayed on you, focused on you, and realize all the benefits that I have in Jesus Christ, and why should my soul be in despair? Let's look at this emotion of disappointment. And the verse that I have selected to go with this emotion is the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I'm going to encourage you again to memorize Psalm 42.8 and then read Psalm 42 and 43 if you're disappointed. I love this verse, and I like the fact that God gives us songs in the night. There's never a more beautiful song that is sung than the song that's sung in the night. And what that means is the song is sung when I am feeling, Father, forsaken, or I'm feeling abandoned, or things are overwhelming me, and I can sing a song of praise to you in the midst of those difficult things. Now, we all face times of tremendous disappointment in our lives. Uh, times when we have so many questions and, and so few answers to circumstances and situations that arose. For instance, why did I lose my job? I mean, I, I've been living paycheck to paycheck and I lost my job? Or the pain of a relationship gone sour? Or a house in need of constant repair? Or physical or emotional needs? Or sudden, often unexpected loss of a loved one? Events that tear through our lives, leaving us in the wake of broken dreams and unfulfilled hopes and crushed spirits. Now, where does disappointment originate, and how do we deal with it? We have these expectations of life that are usually up here. We think, this is how my life should look. This is what my life should be like. This is how I envisioned my life. And then what happened in our lives is usually circumstances and situations are a notch below what our expectations are, maybe it's quite a few notches below. So here we have the expectation, here's the reality, and in between those two is where disappointment lies. And that disappointment can lie there and live wild and free. The enemy uses our disappointment in the most vicious ways. And if we're not aware of it, it's so easy to fall prey to disappointment. So God has given us his word to show us how to deal or manage disappointment as we think about our situation. First of all, when we're disappointed, let's again recall all the benefits that we have in Christ. And let's remember the great God that we have. And let's remember 
that all things are working together for good. And let's remember that he's writing our story. He is writing, dear ladies, our redemption story. Your story looks different than my story. Of course, we know our story ends right there in heaven with the Lord. But each one of our stories looks different. And God has situations, circumstances, people in our lives, which he's allowed and for a reason. And it causes us many times to come to him with our disappointments and say, Father, this did not work out as I planned. He goes, I know, but my plans are perfect for you. And all I ask is that you trust me. And as you trust me, disappointment dissipates. Because too often we get disappointed even in ourselves. But we know that God is not disappointed in us. You learn the lesson of trusting the Lord when your head is buried in a pillow at night. Or you learn it when your boots are on the ground and you have to get up and go to work, taking that next step of faith. Or when you're going to that doctor's office and you're concerned about what you're going to hear about the diagnosis. We often don't know what the good God is doing for us in our life, but he is doing all things for our good, and that's where we trust him because we recall his love for us at Calvary. He demonstrated his love to us. And that's why, dear ladies, we, and I'm including myself in this as well, we must detach ourselves from what could have been, what should have been, what I thought would be if these circumstances had unfolded as I had planned that they would, and acknowledge reality and say, trust the Lord with our life. Now, in every season of life, we are faced with disappointments. But it's a misconception by some believers, while some people have their lives are easier than mine. God does not guarantee that anyone will have an easy life. We all have trials. We all have heartaches. We all have disappointments. We all have people that have been difficult in our lives, and we might have been the difficult person ourselves. And what's so lovely in our life is that the Lord sees us right where we're at. He picks us up, and he keeps us moving on that path of life as we look to him. So do not let negative thinking, disappointments, take over your life. Take over your thinking. Take over your relationship with others and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember all his benefits. And here's another thing I want you to remember. When you think about his benefits, I'm going to raise some examples to you. Have you ever escaped a narrow and tough situation and felt that an invisible bodyguard had protected you in that? Have you considered the possibility that God was the one who rescued you? Have you ever steered away from something you knew deep down was out of God's control? God was there. And he works in hearts like that. And have you ever gone through a hard time only to discover later that those difficult circumstances that you went through prepared you for something greater that God had for you? God is good at bringing out something of great value out of adversity. So we, dear believers, may we not be disappointed. We have everything in Jesus Christ. Let go of disappointment. Remember how I mentioned at the beginning that what we think affects how we live and how we view life. And that's why I do believe that the Apostle Paul says, well, dear brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, whatever things are praiseworthy, Think on those things, because as we think, so we live. So as we think of Jesus Christ, our gaze is on him. But I'm going to tell you this, ladies. 
you have a choice. We have a choice daily. Actually, we have a moment-by-moment choice. Are we going to hold on to our disappointment and our disillusionment? Or are we going to release that to the Lord? We're going to cast it to him and let him carry that for us. The Holy Spirit can break the shackles of disappointment in your life. So back to this verse again. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Here's the truth speaking to us. Hope in God, for I shall praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. There's so much to say about hope in the Christian life. There are multitudes of people who have no hope, but we are believers in Jesus Christ. We have a hope in him. It's an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. And may we cling to our hope in Jesus Christ. Let's talk about envy. I chose these two verses, one from Galatians 5:26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In Proverbs 27:4, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. But look at this question. But who is able to stand before jealousy? Oh my. Interestingly, envy or jealousy is an emotion that doesn't fade away when we grow up. Even though children are very different from one another, they are very concerned about equality. They want things fair. And pizza and prizes better be divided equally or you're going to hear from them, nobody better get a bigger piece than I do. When my husband Barry was 10, his younger brother Mike and his younger sister Patty were allowed one 16-ounce bottle of RC Cola every Friday night to split among the three of them. And this was not the Depression. (laughs) This was the 1960s. So the children were given three small plastic juice glasses in which to pour their pop. So they would line up the three glasses on the table right next to each other. They'd get down on eye level And mom would pour the pop, and the children would measure each glass with a straw to make sure one did get one drop more than the other. It was just part of their nature as children to make sure everything was fair, even the amount of pop they had on Friday nights. But all of us struggle with fairness somehow, some way, sometime, no matter our age. Let's just... Think about it. We, we can be jealous that the person next to us has achieved more financial success than we have. Uh, we can wish our marriage was as happy as our friends. We wonder why someone else's life seems easier than our life. Satan wants us to buy the lie that we'd be happier and more content with someone else's life. We wouldn't. It may feel like we would, but haven't we learned the lesson that feelings are tricky things? Our feelings about somebody else's somewhat perfect life may not be at all what it seems to be. So as we think about envy, I can't help but think about Joseph's story in the book of Genesis, which realized and and illustrated the effects of envy. 
And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. The brothers thought this was the end of their problems with Joseph when they put him in the, in the pit and then they had him hauled off to Egypt, but it was really only the beginning of their problems. Their jealousy was later going to bring great humiliation and heartache. But as you walk in this spirit, that the Holy Spirit shows you that God's grace reminds you that you deserve nothing and you have everything. You have all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why would we be envious of anyone else? We have it all. No believer is left out. God's rescuing grace turns self-centered sinners into joyful and contented people as we're walking by faith, abiding in Christ, resting in him, and trusting him and saying, thank you, Father, that you're with me in the life that I have. Because a statement is made in 1 Corinthians 13 regarding love, which is something we tend to overlook when we're reading that chapter. Love does not envy. So you mean that that woman over there that I smile to and say kind, nice things, yet in my heart I'm envying her life, I don't love her? Well, according to scriptures, we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit to which it's referring. Love does not envy. Remember one of the, remember the original list that I gave you of the six emotions that's identified by researchers, and love was not on that list? And I said I was going to talk to you about love? It's important to think about love because according to uh, Scripture, love involves intellect, will, emotions, and the body. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the Lord Jesus Christ's words. He taught that God's love, God's agape love, the fruit of the Spirit love, involves intellect, will, emotions, and body, when he quoted the Old Testament. This love comes through Jesus Christ and is made possible by the indwelling Holy Spirit as we yield to him. So as we think about love, we think that it's more than just an emotion. It's an act of the will. Such love longs for truth and desires the best for another, desires the best for our friends, desires the best for our husband, the best for our children, the best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love does not envy. Love goes far deeper and lasts far longer than any of the emotions that I have listed for you. Christ's love, his love, stands on its own. So if we love one another, dear sisters in Christ, we are not going to become green with envy which helps our spiritual wardrobe, ladies, because I'll have you know this, green is not a very becoming color on us. So when we love one another, we will look vertically to Jesus Christ and thank the Lord that the life that we have, Father, and sometimes wish we could exchange for someone else's life, is really a privileged life, one that God beautifully designed for our good and his glory. God has given you and me what we can handle. God has a beautiful plan for your life, 
And ladies, we each have our own unique ministries. We all have our unique calling from the Lord. And I'm so thankful for that. So don't become envious of somebody else's gift or somebody else's ministry. God has called you to serve him right where you are at with the people with whom you interact on a daily basis and the situation, location in which you find yourself. This is what God has designed for you. So don't spend time in being envious of somebody else's life. Thank the Lord for the life that he's given you. C.S. Spurgeon said, How can you feel the miseries of envy when you possess in Christ the best of all portions? Did you notice on my list of emotions that joy appeared on both lists? Remember the list from the six, of the researchers of the six primary emotions, joy was listed, and then the research that I conducted with my friends, joy was mentioned on that one as well. So it's interesting, the emotion of joy is very, very important to us. The Lord Jesus said in John 15, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. As you look at uh, my fruit bowl down there, please remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy. What's the third one? Peace. Joy is a fruit the Lord Jesus wants you to have in your life. And you can have it. As you're looking to the Lord, you're trusting him, you're abiding him. He gives you joy in your heart, even though the kitchen sink is around your neck, so to speak. We can sparkle with joy because the Lord is our battery pack that empowers us to be joyful, no matter how dire our circumstances may be. And joy is there by the sweet fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the type of fruit the Lord Jesus was talking about in this verse. And I want you to look at where joy resides. Joy is right between love and peace. Joy has been sometimes referred to as the sheltered fruit of the Spirit. Because if love withers, joy is exposed on that side, and it too will fade if peace is not there, joy is exposed on that side and it will fade away. So the only way to have joy in our life is to see it as a sheltered fruit right between love and peace. So may we live in this sphere of God's love, joy, and peace. Joy is the great note all throughout the Bible. And laughter is a part of joy. Laughter is not only good for us as medicine, for our souls, but it's also powerful in our lives. And along with a magnet that draws other people to you, if you're a joyful person, people want to spend time with you. It also serves as uh, medication, if you will, for our interior lives. Now, laughter is my favorite aerobic exercise. And my son would say, Mom... That is your only aerobic exercise. But it's not good to suppress laughter because it goes back down and it spreads down on your hips. So we're not going to withhold laughter today 
because after two years of mandates, lockdowns, illnesses, political turmoil, I'm going to end this message with laughter. For a cheerful heart has a continual feast. So I'm going to share stories with you. They're all true, which makes them even more humorous. A woman called on the called the utility company and complained that her electricity was out. What should I do? she asked. The voice on the other end advised, Open your freezer and eat the ice cream. <laughs> Here's what Faye tells me. Those who insist on keeping an orderly home will never know the thrilling sense of glee at finding something they thought was lost forever. Uh, a lady went to sign up for an exercise class, and they told her to wear loose clothing. Who are you kidding? She asked. If I had loose clothing, I wouldn't have signed up for this exercise class. <laughs> a friend is someone you can text. Do I look good in yellow? And three dots appear, and three dots disappear. Three dots appear, disappear. Before you get back, No. <laughs> A husband shared, when my wife gets a little upset, sometimes a simple calm down in a soothing voice is all it takes to get me a lot upset. A mother said, my four-year-old threw a wrapper on the floor. I told him to pick it up and put it where it belonged, and he put it in my purse. <laughs> and this story hits close to home here because it's about an English teacher. She said, Teaching is not for sensitive souls. When reviewing future, past, and present tenses with my ninth grade class of students, I posed the question, I'm beautiful is in what tense? And one student raised her hand, past tense. <laughs> a manager shared, I've heard every excuse from coworkers for missing a day of work, but this one actually sounded legit. What's wrong? I asked a woman who called in. Are you sick? No, I can't find a cute pair of shoes to wear. <laughs> and as you know, the supply chain shortage has been a problem. We've had trouble purchasing certain items, which led the store owner to post this sign outside a carpet flooring store. If it's in stock, we've got it. <laughs> and I'm going to end with this story. There was no way I was going to allow myself to go gray while I was in my 40s. So I dyed my hair. And I modeled the new look for my husband. Well, do I look five years younger? I asked. No, but your hair does. <laughs> well, it's so wonderful as we think about our emotions that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for us emotional ragamuffins. We do not have to be a slave to the raw emotions that catch us off guard. So I hope you have now a new understanding and a new appreciation, and you are renewed in the spirit of your mind of how your colorful, spirit-filled life has a part of God's great design for you. God has made us gals emotionally rich so that we can appreciate the abundant life in Christ, and we can appreciate the life 
that God has given us day by day and moment by moment. The Lord Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, eternal life, and they might have it more abundantly. May Jesus Christ be praised. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your care for us and your love for us and how you designed us. We're so thankful, Father, that you gave us emotions and you even gave us a way to manage our emotions through the Spirit of self, Holy Spirit of self-control. Thank you, Father, that you care for us, you love us with an everlasting love. I thank you, Father, that you demonstrate that love on the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Father, for our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. I, we love him so much, Father, because he first loved us. I thank you for each woman who's here today, Father. I pray for, pray for that woman. You know the woman's heart. You know the circumstances. You know what she's going through. And nothing can overwhelm you, Father. You are the overcomer. And I pray, Father, that they would grab a hold of that. So we go and leave this building refreshed and renewed in the spirit of their mind. You've given us everything, Father, in Christ. And we praise his holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.